Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm your host, Colleen. Just a really quick note, since Misconduct debuted almost three years ago, all the new episodes have always aired on Thursdays. Recently, I've decided that I'm going to go ahead and change that to Sunday. So going forward, you can expect a new episode in your feed every other Sunday. Besides that, I hope everyone has a happy holidays, and the next episode will air on December 29th. And that will be the last episode of 2019. And with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Nico Jenkins spent his entire adult life in prison, save for one month between two convictions. In that one month, he went on a killing spree, ending the lives of four people, three of whom he had never met, and victims he seemingly picked at random. Claiming to be guided by the instructions of the Egyptian god Apophis, who is depicted as a snake in ancient art, Nico shot and killed his four victims to appease the god, who he claimed kept him awake until he followed through with the orders. But those who testified against him described him as a narcissistic man whose main motive was money. Nico Jenkins was born in Omaha, Nebraska on September 16, 1986. To say that he had a troubled childhood would be an understatement. His parents, Lori and David, had a violent relationship, which they didn't hide from their children. Nico and his siblings, Erica and Melanie, grew up witnessing regular and extreme violence in the home and Nico would later speak to mental health professionals about the physical abuse and neglect that he suffered as a child. Lori and David were well-known to local police and were in and out of prison on felony charges during their children's early years. This involvement with crime, violence, alcohol, and drug abuse is not isolated to Nico's immediate family. An Omaha World Herald article published shortly after the spree of killings highlights the intergenerational crime within the family who had been fueled by alcohol, drugs, and addiction. Nico attended Highland Elementary School, five miles south of Omaha. On September 24, 1993, when Nico was just seven years old, he set off for school like any other day. But on this morning, Nico was armed with a loaded 25 caliber shotgun. While his intentions were not known, and thankfully no one was hurt, the fact remains that a 7-year-old took a gun to school. The discovery of the weapon resulted in Nico being removed from his mother Lori's care temporarily. 
The timeline gets fuzzy here, with conflicting reports on Nico's placements, but at some point, Nico was placed back with his mother. Four years later, at the age of 11, Nico was arrested for felony theft and shoplifting. In December of 1997, he pled guilty and was sent to a residential facility. This facility placement didn't last long, and in February of 1998, Nico was moved to the Douglas County Youth Detention Center. The residential facility could no longer cope with Nico's violent outbursts, and he was deemed a risk to the other children in the facility. The youth detention center would be better equipped to deal with Nico's behavior, but this placement only lasted a few days before Nico was released back into Lori's custody on probation. As part of the probation, Nico was given some basic tasks. He was told that he must enroll in a summer school program, attend counseling, make amends with his victims via letters of apology, and he must follow his mother's instructions. Failure to follow through with any of these tasks would land Nico right back in youth detention, which is precisely what happened in December of 1998 when Nico assaulted someone with a knife. Then on March 22, 1999, Nico ran away from the detention center, and it was three months before he was located and returned to the facility. Six months later, Nico was moved to an out-of-home placement. An out-of-home placement is a temporary foster care arrangement for children who are unable to be in their own homes or with family for whatever reason. This placement is likely to have been a group home. And while at this placement, Nico was once again ordered to enroll in some form of education and attend therapy, as well as get a psychiatric evaluation done. This time, he was also required to attend substance abuse classes and submit to regular drug screenings, but it's unknown if he followed through with any of these requirements. Nico ran away from this placement soon after he arrived, and it was eight months before he was located and sent back to the youth detention center. The following month, he ran away again, and this time it took six months until he was returned back to the center. On June 11, 2001, Nico's probation was revoked. He wasn't adhering to the conditions set forth by the courts, and he kept running away. Frankly, Nico had finally run out of chances. He was sent to a youth rehabilitation and treatment center in Kearney, nearly 200 miles away from Omaha, where he stayed for almost a year. He was released from the center on an unspecified date when he was around 15 years old. It is doubtful that there was ever a break in Nico's offending. It wasn't a matter of if he would be arrested again, but when. His father reported violent interactions with Nico between his release from the center in Kearney and his next arrest, including an incident with a 15-year-old Nico pointing a sawed-off shotgun at him. On June 24, 2002, Nico approached a Honda Civic being driven by a 21-year-old man. Nico told the man to get out of the car, which he did before Nico drove off in the vehicle. Two months later, on August 26, Nico approached a woman who was in her car and asked for a ride, which she declined. Not taking no for an answer, Nico pointed a gun at her, 
entered her car, and instructed her to drive to a specific spot. Then he ordered her out of the car and drove away. Nico was arrested for these carjackings, and for the first time in his crime-filled life, he was facing serious jail time. On October 17, 2003, Nico was sentenced to 14 to 15 years for robbery and use of a deadly weapon to commit a felony. Since he was a minor, he was sent to the Nebraska Correctional Youth Facility to begin his sentence. His time was not served quietly. Nico was written up for various assaults and spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. On July 4, 2005, he assaulted a fellow inmate and punched him multiple times before running from guards who tried to intervene as he continued to attack other inmates. Court documents describe this happening in a riot situation with up to nine other inmates being involved. Once Nico was restrained, he was placed in solitary confinement. Charges were eventually brought for the assaults, and another two years were added to Nico's sentence. When he was almost 20, Nico was transferred from the youth facility to Tecumseh State Correctional Institution, which is an adult prison. Nico's prison pastime was tattooing, and he was written up multiple times for practicing this activity. If you Google Nico's name, you'll see his mugshot, which shows the extent of his tattooing. The left side of his face is covered in black ink tattoos of various words, and the right appears to be covered in red writing and line drawings, although some of the marks are thought to be scarring from self-harm. Nico's grandmother passed away in December of 2009, and he was granted a furlough to attend the funeral. He was accompanied by prison guards to ensure the safety of the public and ensure that Nico returned to prison after the funeral. At the funeral, Nico attempted to escape, and he hit a guard and attempted to bite people as he was being secured. This earned him a one-way ticket back to prison, a stint in segregation, additional time added to his ever-lengthening sentence, and a transfer to the Douglas County Jail. As well as a long history of behavioral concerns, Nico has a long history of mental health diagnoses. The information about Nico's mental health while he was in prison is sourced from an ombudsman report by Marshall Lux. The outline reports the years of psychiatric care, medication, and diagnoses Nico received while he was incarcerated. If I included every detail here, almost 30 years of information, this episode would be several hours long, so I've condensed the 60 pages of information, but if you would like to read the entirety of the report, it's available online and I'll provide a link on the website. Nico was in the care of multiple mental health professionals during his incarceration. There were different thoughts as to the cause of Nico's violent behavior and outbursts. From 2008 to 2010, Nico was under the care of three different psychiatrists and psychologists at two facilities. During sessions with these doctors, Nico would speak to his desire to kill people, saying that he would go to North Omaha to a suburban area and kill people at random. He would often bring up Apophis, an Egyptian god that he believed was controlling his thoughts and making him want to kill. 
Because of this, Nico started on medications, which were supposed to help with schizophrenia, as well as a range of other conditions, including depression, bipolar, and panic disorders. It was reported in subsequent check-ins that these medications seemed to be working and that Nico's mood seemed more level and even at his next few assessments. But by December 2009, Nico was not taking his medication anymore. He said that he didn't feel that he needed it, while in the same conversation bringing up the Egyptian god who he hadn't mentioned in a while. Nico would go through periods of demanding the medication, refusing it, and then demanding it again. While it was noted that he was calmer on the medication, there were differing opinions as to whether or not the medication was the cause of the mood changes. Dr. Baker was one of the first doctors to work with Nico when he was moved to adult prison and was the first to recommend medication. However, he later said that he believed Nico's symptoms were behavioral rather than the result of mental illness. Dr. Baker went on to state that Nico was trying to avoid punishment for his behaviors by claiming to be ill and therefore not fully responsible for his actions. At the time of making this statement, Nico was still awaiting trial for his assault on the prison guard at his grandmother's funeral, and Dr. Baker decided to withdraw Nico's medication. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In February 2010, he was transferred to Douglas County after the incident at his grandmother's funeral, and the mental health staff at the facility met with Nico. His lead carer was Denise Gaines, who was a licensed mental health practitioner. Nico told Denise that he had schizophrenia and bipolar and that the previous facility had refused him treatment, but he wanted to get back on medication as soon as possible. His records were requested, and it was noted that there were intentions to restart medication, as well as starting their own assessments. When the prescriptions came in, Nico refused to take them, and they were once again discontinued. 
Nico brought up Apophis in the meetings with Denise and opened up to her about his childhood and his years of abuse. Denise Gaines decided to refer Nico to a psychiatrist while still keeping an active role in meeting with him. Dr. Oliveto was assigned the case and changed Nico's diagnosis from bipolar 1 to schizoaffective disorder and also diagnosed him with antisocial, impulsive, and obsessive behaviors, but then he recommended Nico for further assessment. This was at odds with Dr. Baker's diagnosis, which suggested that Nico's symptoms were purely behavioral and not likely caused by mental illness. Then a third doctor, Dr. Moore, also completed an assessment on Nico to decide if he was fit to stand trial for charges that had been brought against him, likely for the assault on the prison guard at his grandmother's funeral. Dr. Moore stated that while it was possible that Nico had a psychotic illness, it wasn't very likely, and instead diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder and ruled that he was fit to stand trial. So now we have three doctors with three different opinions and three different diagnoses. Denise Gaines continued to meet with Nico and recorded his homicidal thoughts and delusions of Apophis. Denise continued to advocate for Nico's mental health care, and Dr. Oliveto reinstated his medications and changed his diagnosis to schizoaffective disorder. Based on this change in diagnosis, he recommended a transfer to a more equipped mental health facility. As the possibility of Nico's release loomed, Denise recommended a continuation of mental health care and making continued care a condition of his parole. In 2011, Nico was sentenced to two to four years for the assault and escape attempt in December of 2009. This sentence was served concurrently with his existing sentence, and he was transferred back to prison and into the care of Dr. Baker, who continued to have regular contact with Nico and who continued to believe that Nico was inventing his symptoms. Nico continued to insist that he needed mental health care, and he advocated for his rights, insisting that more people assess him. There was another parade of doctors and mental health professionals who all weighed in on Nico's symptoms, and for the most part, they decided that they were a result of a personality disorder. Nico continued to speak out about his symptoms. And as his release date neared, he allegedly expressed concerns for the safety of the public in his current state and insisted that he was in great need of help and support. He started self-harming at this stage as well. Basically, everything was pointing to Nico not being ready to be released from prison. Nico was released from prison on July 30, 2013, when he was 26 years old. While he was sentenced to 16 to 17 years and had time added for the various assaults while he was in prison, Nico only ended up serving around nine years, half of which was in segregation. Due to Nebraska's good time law, Nico's prison time was reduced based on days of good behavior. A basic overview of this law is that a day of good behavior takes a day off your sentence, with each day starting with a clean slate. There are provisions for time to be added in the cases of bad behavior and revoking good time days at the discretion of prison officials. 
Now, Nico did lose over 500 days of good time due to his bad behavior in prison. However, he still accumulated enough good days to be released after serving just half of his original sentence. Furthermore, Nico was discharged and not paroled, so there were no mental health follow-up as recommended by Denise Gaines. Nico fell back in with the same crowds as before he went to prison, with the addition of a new friend that he made while serving his time named Curtis Bradford. Old crowds meant old habits, and when Nico was strapped for cash, he turned back to what he knew, robbery. On August 11th, 29-year-old Jorge Ruiz and 26-year-old Juan Uribe Peña were partying at a local club with another friend when they were approached by Erica Jenkins, Nico's sister, and their cousin Christine Bordeaux. The women allegedly offered the men sex, and they left the club together. Jorge and Juan went to nearby Spring Lake Park to meet the women, while the third man went to go get some cash. Christine had alerted Nico to their location and told him that she thought the men could possibly have $1,000 on them. While they were sitting in a pickup truck in the park, Nico approached and shot both men in the head using bullets that are known as deer slugs. One man was in the front seat and one was in the back, and by the time the third man arrived at the car, he found his friends murdered and their pockets emptied. After the killing, Nico, Erica, and Christine went to the motel room of Lori Jenkins, Nico and Erica's mother, and told her what they had done. Lori allegedly seemed more concerned with how much money they had taken than with the fact that two of her children had just confessed to a double homicide. Lori gave Christine new clothing since Nico was worried about the gunshot residue that was on hers and the three left with the money that they had just stolen. Nico and Curtis, his friend from prison, were spending quite a bit of time together now that they had both been released. Reports indicate that Curtis's family discouraged the friendship, insisting that Curtis not fall in with the wrong crowd again. After all, he had just gotten out of prison himself, and his family did not want him to go back. Curtis was only 22, so he was pretty young and he had plenty of time to turn his life around. But Curtis ignored his family and continued to spend time with Nico. On August 18th, Nico and Curtis were at a barbecue and were overheard talking about a robbery that they were planning on committing. Later on, the men picked up Nico's sisters, Erica and Lori, who was known as Lolo since their mother's name is also Lori, and they left in a car. In the early morning hours of August 19th, Lolo stayed in the car while Nico, Erica, and Curtis exited the vehicle. According to reports, Erica, Curtis, and Nico were all armed, but Curtis may have been given an unloaded 9mm that he was led to believe was loaded. Erica and Nico lured Curtis into an alley beside a parking lot, and they took turns shooting Curtis in the back of the head. Curtis's body was later found next to the parking garage, surrounded by blood. His pockets contained his ID, money, and drugs, 
So robbery was not the motive here, like it was for the first murders. However, there was one similarity. The two men in the park, and now Curtis, had all been killed with 12-gauge deer slugs. On August 21st, Nico, Erica, Christine, and their uncle Warren Levering were in a vehicle and, according to reports, looking for a car to steal. Andrea Kruger was a 33-year-old mother of three and was in West Omaha, having just finished work and been through the McDonald's drive through Andrea was in her SUV and pulled up to an intersection behind the car that Nico was driving. Nico left his vehicle and ran to Andrea's, where he proceeded to remove her from her car and shot her four times with a 9mm gun. He left her lying on the street where she eventually succumbed to her injuries. Nico drove off in the car and then met up with his uncle who helped him set the car on fire in an attempt to destroy any evidence that may have been in the vehicle. While we know now that the murders were being committed by Nico, at the time the people of Omaha were terrified. Someone was committing seemingly random murders around the city and the victims were of different sex and ethnicities in different areas and from diverse backgrounds. Nothing seemed to connect them, and residents were left wondering if the killer would be caught before they killed again. Luckily, police already had plans to question Nico on matters unrelated to the murders, and they eventually started to suspect that Nico may have been committing these crimes as well. They had begun to collect evidence, and all of it was pointing in Nico's direction. They had surveillance footage of a woman buying the same ammo used in the first three murders, and the woman on the video is believed to be Nico's cousin Christine, but it was later determined to be his mother Lori. Also, a single unused 12-gauge deer slug was found in Andrea's car, as well as part of a bag that belonged to Nico. At his sister's house, investigators found a bag containing a 9mm gun that was used in one of the murders. The 9mm was tested, and Curtis's blood was found on it, leading police to believe that this was the unloaded weapon that Curtis was carrying the night he was killed. Nico was then arrested on August 30th for making terroristic threats and taken into the station. Nico was held at the station and questioned, and on September 3rd, he decided that he wanted to confess. But he wasn't confessing to the terroristic threats. He was confessing to four murders. Nico, seated in an interrogation room in a yellow jumpsuit, jumped at the opportunity to talk when an officer brought in coffee. He started talking, saying that he needed to speak, and he needed to know what the police had, and he was happy to fill in any other evidence or gaps in information that they needed. As he sat across the table from the two police officers, he told them that he had nothing to do with the murders, but he knew who did. He blamed it on his sister and his cousin. According to Nico, they committed the murders in a ritual sacrifice, and he promised to wear a wire and go undercover to get the evidence that the police needed. The detectives just sat and listened, because they knew the truth, and they were willing to wait for it to come out. 
Nico then moved to the floor and continued talking. He spoke of his treatment in prison and of his multiple mental illnesses before continuing to describe the murders of Jorge and Juan. None of the information that he provided added up, and gentle questioning from the detectives quickly poked holes in his story. This caused Nico to try and backpedal, but eventually just made the holes in his story even bigger. One of the detectives pointed out the details that Nico knew about the murders were things that only the killer would know. He went on to describe the growing list of evidence that was being gathered and mentioned that there was DNA available for testing and that ballistics testing was already in progress and there was camera footage that was being reviewed. Five hours into this interview, Nico changed his story slightly and admitted to being present for at least one of the murders. But in this version, it was his cousin who held the weapon, and they committed the murders as a way to join Nico's religion. This was his first mention of Apophis, saying that he commanded his cousins to commit these crimes on behalf of the serpent god as a sacrifice. In the final hours of the lengthy interview, Nico finally confessed. Well, he confessed sort of. He admitted to everything up until the murders, but never actually took responsibility for his actions. He blamed the Egyptian god, his history in the prison system, and his lack of mental health care, but he never once took the blame for his actions. But the detectives had enough of a confession. They wrapped up the interview, and Nico started to weep. The detective had planned on just giving him a handshake, which was more of the norm, but ended up giving Nico a hug and held him for a few moments while he cried before leaving him in the interview room. Nico was held in custody until his trial. The court ordered psychological testing to determine if Nico was fit to stand trial, and it was quickly decided that he was not. Nico's self-harming continued during this time, and he attempted to carve 666 into his forehead, but he didn't account for the mirror reversing his reflection, so the numbers are backwards. He used a sharp object to carve the word Satan into his face, and he split his tongue to look like a snake's tongue. He also reportedly mutilated his genitals in an attempt to make it look like a snake. The court then reversed its decision and decided that Nico was in fact fit to stand trial, and he did so in 2014. He was charged with four counts of first-degree murder and eight weapons charges. Nico requested a bench trial where three judges would decide his fate rather than a jury. He represented himself for a large portion of the trial before accepting the help of a public defender who represented him until the verdict was read. Nico kept changing his plea. He went from intending to plead guilty to then pleading not guilty to then insisting he was too mentally ill to stand trial. In the end, he entered a plea of no contest. A no contest plea is different than a guilty plea and that the defendant is not admitting guilt, but acknowledges that there is enough evidence to convict. Nico was found guilty on April 16, 2014. 
Appeals are automatic in Nebraska, so the appeal process started immediately. When the verdict was handed down, the first words out of Nico's mouth were to his public defender, telling the lawyer that he wasn't to represent him for the appeal. The judge ordered that this public defender stay on the case, regardless of what Nico thought. Sentencing was delayed to ensure that he was mentally fit enough to receive the death penalty. During this delay to allow time for more testing and discussions, the death penalty was briefly off the table. In 2015, Nebraska lawmakers sought to end the death penalty as a punishment, but this was met by protests, and the punishment was quickly reinstated by the end of the year meaning that it was back on the table for Nico, even though he had yet to be sentenced. The death penalty hearing took place in 2016. This time, Nico had a lawyer to represent him, but Nico largely ignored his lawyer's advice. Nico testified on his own behalf, which his lawyer strongly advised against. While on the stand, Nico rambled and denied the murders, falsely saying that he only confessed because the police told him that they had arrested his mother. The state psychiatrist testified that Nico was a sane man who was faking psychotic symptoms in order to lessen his punishment. The state also had the carjacking victims testify to prove a history of violent behavior. The psychiatrist hired by Nico's legal team submitted his thoughts that Nico had schizophrenia and possibly bipolar disorder. His mental health history, his self-harm, and his rambling and inappropriate behavior seemed to bolster this diagnosis. On May 30, 2017, a three-judge panel handed down their sentences. Nico was sentenced to death for the murders and 450 years for the weapons charges. Curtis Bradford's mother was present at the sentencing and wept as she left the courtroom. At the time of this recording, Nico is awaiting an execution date. Nico's family members have also been charged for their roles in the murders. Lori Jenkins, Nico's mother, was found guilty of supplying the ammunition to Nico and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. She was later sentenced to another five to six years for being an accessory after the fact for her knowledge of the murders and for giving Christine new clothes. Erica Jenkins, Nico's sister, was arrested and charged for her role in the murders. Although Nico insisted that he shot Curtis twice with two different weapons in an attempt to save his sister from charges, Erica was found guilty of murder and is serving life for Curtis Bradford's murder, plus 100 years for other charges. Erica has committed multiple assaults in prison, including a vicious attack on her own cousin. Nico's cousin Christine ended up testifying for the prosecution. She received a 20-year sentence for robbery and conspiracy to commit robbery in exchange for her testimony. Erica and Christine were housed in the same facility, and despite concerns from Christine, Erica and another inmate were moved into her cell to be her bunkmates. Two days after Erica moved in, Christine was in the hospital for treatment of the injuries that Erica had inflicted during a beating. 
The beating caused a concussion, a broken arm, and a broken nose. After that, Christine was moved to another prison, and for her safety, the details are not public. Erica claimed that the other unnamed inmate was the one who beat Christine, but the judge didn't believe her, and she was convicted for the assault at trial. And finally, Warren Levering, the uncle that set Andrea Kruger's car on fire, was sentenced to 40 years in prison for his role. And if you're interested in hearing more about that trial, I highly recommend checking out Court Junkie's coverage of the murder of Andrea Kruger. And that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. First, I would like to say thank you so much to Jess for her research and writing for this episode. For more information on this episode, visit the website misconductpodcast.com. You'll find links to source material and further reading on this episode and more information about misconduct. If you have a second, head on over to my social media pages and let me know what you think about this week's episode. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at misconductpod. And if you have a case that you would like to see covered, I have a case submission tab on my website. You can find a link in the show notes, and I really like taking suggestions from listeners, so if you submit a case, I will do my best to cover it on a future episode. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.